Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Slate's Audio Book Club for the month of March 2017. I'm Katie Waldman, a staff writer at Slate, and I'm joined today, um, they are both in the New York studio, um, by Parul Segal, a senior editor and columnist for the New York Times Book Review. Hello. Hey, Katie. Um, and Laura Miller, a books and culture critic at Slate. Hey, Laura. Hi, Katie. Swing Time is the fifth novel by Zadie Smith, um, and it follows the coming of age of an unnamed narrator from uh, gritty public housing in London to college to the right hand of a mega pop star named Amy, who sends her all over the world, including to West Africa, to open a school for women. Uh, never far from her mind is her childhood friend Tracy, whom she met at a dance class and who fell out of her life in her 20s. Um, This is such a peculiar book in that it has this narrator who's kind of the core of it. Um, And yet her story is filtered through the stories of these women who seem to be much more um, present or or much, much stronger forces in the book. Um, So I guess I wanted to start by asking you guys, who is this story about? Uh, What is this book about? Is it about the narrator? Is it about Amy? Is it about Tracy? Um, Is it about all of them or none of them? I think that the narrator is supposed to be a a kind of a receptor. I mean, she's or an observer who doesn't entirely realize that about herself. Like she's really has the personality of a writer, but she thinks of herself as someone who maybe might have been a dancer or, you know, she doesn't really know who she is. And, um, and yet at the same time, she has these incredible powers of observation so that you're just like, duh, but she hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she also is nameless. And I think part of the book is her realizing her passivity. There's a quote, um, you know, I'd always, she, you know, she sort of describes herself as a shadow. I'd always tried to attach myself to the light of other people. And she is surrounded by, as you say, these dominant women. And not only just Amy and her friend, but her mother is just such a powerful figure in the book, right? Um so I think that, uh, yeah, and I think that, like, as many people have pointed out, and, and as I hope we'll get to chat about today, there are some serious, like, shades of Ferrante in this book, huh? Did, mm-hmm. you, did you feel that? Well, this is the interesting thing for me about this book is that the, the the I loved it because I just love old Zadie Smith. I mean, I just have no capacity to resist her at all. And so even when I have issues with one of her books, um, I still wind up loving it. But... Um, but with this one, I feel like at the center of it is this relationship that to me feels like it's the thinnest part of the book. 
And so while I more, I, I, I mean, I think of the Ferrante books as as being a sort of almost a, a, a parable of identity where the two women are both parts of the same personality. I remember this theory of yours. Yes, this is my theory <laughs> about those. And so, um, you, you know, the intensity of the connection between the two of them is the intensity of the connection of, of two selves that inhabit the same person. Whereas with Tracy feels intermittently vivid, but ultimately kind of thin. Like, what is the connection between these two women? I came into the studio and I was like, I'm, I'm properly perplexed by this book. And I think, like Laura, I suffer from this like great love for Zadie Smith that verges. It's it's, it's very problematic for anybody who has pretensions at literary criticism. <laughs> but I mean, for, I think for a lot of us, I think it's worth also talking about a brief tangent, but like what she represents and how we mm. like, I don't have sports. I don't have music. I But I have seen the career of Zadie Smith in my <laughs> lifetime, you know, and it exemplifies this thing. And you, we've watched her, you know, battle out fiction. We've watched her like introduce theories of fiction, change in every single book. She's got this famous restlessness. And um, and I don't want to say this because it sounds condescending, but mature in certain ways, you know, um, and become a mother and tackle that in fiction. So you, I do feel this overwhelming, complicating <laughs> protectiveness and love for her. Um, but like, like Laura, I think that that central relationships, thinness, um, or even just like the lack of charisma I felt that Tracy had. Like one of the things about the Fronte book is that I just got the lure of Leela. I yeah, got it. I couldn't true. take my eyes off of yeah. her either. And I think, I mean, you could subscribe to Laura's theory that it's like, it's so intense because they are one person. Or it might be, as I think I'm inclined to sort of think like, Fronte is just like that kind of like, thinker. She just tunnels really, really deeply into human nature. She can't stop. Whereas Zadie Smith is is, is more on the, on the surface, not saying this in a pejorative way, but she, you know, like she doesn't really, like, she's not really interested in those like deeper, deeper psychological questions or psychological darkness, I don't think, which makes yeah. Tracy feel a little brittle to me. Well, it sort of dark. reminds me, yeah, it reminds me of that quote that Amy, uh, about Amy, Amy believes that differences are never structural or economic, but always essentially differences of personality. Yeah. And I think that's a way in which Zadie Smith definitely uh, diverges from Amy. And my sense of Tracy is that, yes, she's less intimately enmeshed with um, our unnamed narrator, but the intelligence governing the book is really uh, fascinated with her as a structural foil. And so yeah. even if the relationship itself is not fraught with all these like deep psychological meanings um, and maybe is less interesting from that perspective, from the perspective of the, the person who winds up the novel and watches it go, I think um, she's she's doing interesting structural work. And I wonder if she's just sort of a way to – explore, you know, um, so here's a woman who loves dance and here's another woman who loves dance and this one succeeds and this one fails. Uh, I'm thinking of Amy and Tracy, but it could also apply to the narrator and Tracy. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's actually um, a, a compensation for the lack of what uh, Elena Fronte is able to do, but it does seem to be a different uh, project too. I think that Zadie Smith is much less interested in obsessive dyads in this in this particular way. She is like a social novelist. She's like exactly right. a Ian Forster kind of or, or yeah. Dickens yeah. would be the yeah. class because yeah. she's very interested in London. Yeah. She um 
you know, just the there are bits. The the bit that I quote in my my review is about this summer that sh- that the narrator works in a pizza parlor, and the sort of Iranian owner manager and the people who work there becoming very caught up in this Wimbledon match where um, Brian Shelton, a black player, you know, makes a really, he doesn't win, but he makes a really good run at it. And um, the way that this activates all of these sort of clashes of racial belief and personality among all the people who work in this pizza parlor, and it's sketched so Perfectly. Like there's only a couple of sentences about each of the different people who work in the shop, but you feel like you've been there in the way that Dickens would write about, you know, a street scene or something. And this character who might who might never be named who comes along and and says this or that and is somehow makes you imagine a whole life. And she so she's so incredibly good at that. She's interested in every kind of person and how they work and the conversations that they have with each other and the way that you can be for example in a pizza parlor and listen to a few conversations that the the people who work there have amongst themselves. The cleaning lady, the the delivery guy, the woman who works the cash register and imagine entire lives for them and she's so incredibly good at that i mean i just don't i just think she's she's she has a really hard time narrowing herself down to yeah. to that mm-hmm. and the closest she came to this was with her previous novel nw and you really feel the lack of room for her in that book i mean it was very She's she was making herself do something sort of formally experimental uh, with the idea that that's what she had to do, but it was a little claustrophobic. See, I love that book, <laughs> and I feel like she's her freest in this book. I mean, this is this is Sadie Smith. I mean, this, I mean, I, I love all these books in different ways. They're all, but I mean, I, I think that N. W. was interesting to me. Because, I mean, again, and, and maybe this is a question we can also go back to, the why does she, you know, so many of her books are so similar and that it does focus mm-hmm. on, you know, ideological differences between siblings or friends and how does one person end up here and the other person there. And NW is, again, very similar. These two friends grow up in uh, public housing projects in northwest London. Again, I think it's like the late 70s, early 80s, it's a very similar time period, cultural references, except one is white and one is black. Um, and... Uh, I I think that like and I, I agree with Laura that she's not like she doesn't have that Ferrante bug of like that obsessive diet. But I feel like you need to be able to do that to make this book work because this is a book about certain kinds of stalking, certain kinds of obsession, you know. And so how do you write a book like that uh, and, and persuade me that, yeah, you are still thinking of this friend who you haven't spoken to. And, yeah, she's going to come back without understanding um how how people watch each other, what they want from each other, how you delight in their misfortunes. <laughs> All these things that I think Ferrante is very good at. And I feel like Zadie Smith, I, I don't know if, 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 again, just to go back to this point, that like I don't know how much she's really interested in in that kind of tunneling, that particular kind of darkness, as opposed to these amazing set pieces of life, London, this moment in June, to quote Wolf, you know, that she's so good at. Uh, and all the, the little social details of what it's like to work for the celebrity. Yeah. And the celebrity herself is this character who could so easily just devolve into a parody. I mean, there's so many ridiculous things about her. And then every once in a while, she'll say something and you realize that she has just penetrated to the mm-hmm. middle of the 
the situation. And that's one of the reasons why she is what she is, that yeah. she huh. she has this um, will and this kind of in peculiar insight at the same time that she's just oblivious of of certain realities it's it's a it she's such a fascinating character to me so like much more interesting than tracy because of the way that she kind of goes back and forth between um you know almost a satirical figure and somebody who you go oh yeah this is a dynamo for better or worse Wow, I completely disagree. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I really liked every aspect of this book, and I, but I feel like you're talking me out of it a little bit, so this is dangerous. But, um, <laughs> but I, I did think that the parts with Amy and her world of like hyper celebrity and lavishness and and not and tone deafness, all of that was like the most familiar part, and like I knew what the set pieces were going to be. I knew that she was going to adopt a a black baby and it was going to be problematic. Minute she appears, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just felt that um, she was just kind of this uh, satiric figure that we could recognize um, a mile away. And I guess there are sort of fragments of conversation that were interesting, but I just thought that like compared to the London uh, scene that uh, Smith evokes and compared even to this unnamed African village, just like every setting except Amy's world was like more interesting to me. Well, I just think just think about it, go back to it and look at everything that Amy tells the narrator about herself. It is mm-hmm. everything she tells her is absolutely true and is usually something that the narrator doesn't want to admit to herself. Doesn't she just say like you need to get laid? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everything she tells her is true. You apologize too much. Mm. You know, it's it's real. I I think that that the character of Amy is you know what you're supposed to think about her. But if you're paying attention to her, you do see. I agree. I think I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm in between you guys in the sense of that. I do think that they're now thinking back. There is a certain kind of freshness and frankness in her voice in in the book but i feel like as a character i felt like i knew exactly what she'd been created to enact in a broader way and that troubled me and i felt that she was she was there to illustrate a very particular kind of white uh, naivete that Zadie Smith is f- has frequently has a character who's like trying a white character who's trying to make things better, you know, and like has her heart in the right place and usually like bungles things for everybody. Um, and I've seen it before, and like this, this again, like was such a you know clear like Madonna, Angelina Jolie, with like a dash of Kylie Minogue. You know, thing, and I, I wanted her to be even more complicated. Maybe is what I'm saying. I wanted her to be even more unstable. But I wanted that from all these characters. I felt like so many of these characters were for me very static. Um, you know, the, there's the uh, Tracy's mother is this pimpled, obese, sloppy, cigarette smoking mom from start to finish. You She's know? white trash. White basically. trash. Yeah. You know, and like you don't really get to see any tenderness. You don't. And then, then the dad is this like deadbeat. Guy, I mean, I don't know how spoilerly we can be, but they're like shades of, you know, abusiveness and stuff like that. That, you know, like, I mean, really, like, who really turns in this book? Who really, and not to say that, like, you, you necessarily need to have that particular kind of evolution to enjoy reading a book, but um, with so many characters that I felt like were there to perform this and stayed performing this from the first page to the end, I got, 
I got, uh, yeah, I, I had a feeling that I've never experienced reading Zadie Smith's books. I just, I got bored for like huge swaths. The Africa sections were a slog for me. Really? I just felt them drained yeah. of all color. I just felt them like really, I felt her being very careful, which, you know, you have to be. But yeah. like, I just, uh, I felt like, you know, these great sort of like these strong African women and they're constrained this way, but they're going to find a way this. And I just felt it like pious in a way that I'm, I, I yeah, I I think the thing about Zadie Smith that Laura mentioned is exactly right, that she's interesting because she's interested, you know, and she pays attention and everything is interesting. And I, I just wanted more of that idiosyncratic magpie kind of attention towards other stuff when she was there. Well, you, know? you do feel the constraints yeah. of this carefulness that yeah. you're talking about, which is kind of antithetical to it's, partic- it's certainly particular yeah. artistic temperaments, but probably the artistic, like if you're constantly afraid of coloring outside of the lines, you're not you're not going to have the sort of esprit that yeah. you that you need to to write a really great book. But I still felt that the mm. that her observation of the the way I mean the the the, the narrator meets all of these people who represent different ways of being in the world that she can't quite manage. And um, the um, the main girl that she stays with in the village, Hawa, Hawa um, her way of relating to her particular community is so carefully described. Yeah, I liked Hawa. I thought Hawa yeah, was I mean, she and 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 so I don't think that it's necessarily untrue it might be that the truth is close to maybe some things that might seem like cliches, but it, it felt real to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as for who changes and who doesn't and the idea that um, that a lot of these characters are pretty static, I'm not sure that this absolves her, but I also think that that could be a theme that she is, is consciously yeah, sure, playing sure. with. Um, and because you have Tracy who – doesn't have the kind of upwardly mobile aspirations that um, the narrator's mother instills in her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think one thing that I'd love to ask you guys at some point now or later is uh, whether Tracy is supposed to be a tragic or a sad figure. Like, are we supposed to pity her and believe that, you know, she is someone who's been um, stymied by, you know, structural forces beyond her control? Um, Or are we supposed to think, this is a person who is, and I hope this doesn't sound like condescending, but who's authentically who she is and who has made a home for herself and and has sort of uh, stabilized an identity in a way that this narrator hasn't been able to. Um, so that was an open question for me. I mean, I think the obvious thing, if you're sort of part of the international professional class, is to see the narrator as having made it, even though basically... She just becomes, you know, for nine years of her life, she just becomes, she's just subsumed in this other person. Whereas Tracy struggles to sort of make it in in terms of income or what circles she moves in. You know, she's stuck back in the old neighborhood, but she is still herself in a way that maybe the narrator can't be. Towards the end of the book, Tracy, uh, the narrator's mother calls her and she's very distressed. And she says that Tracy's been harassing her and just these constant 
phone messages and some of them, you know, they, they start out, they make sense, you know, like she's like, please help me with my children or my son is getting, you know, harassed at school and I think it's racially motivated. And then they just become more and more unhinged. So, I mean, looking at those and thinking about that, like how happy is that person? Where, what has that person yeah. achieved? Right? I don't like, think she's happy. Happy or what, yeah. what has she made? And like, and there's there's not only just like the 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 possible suggestion of mental illness, but there's the other idea that her children might be taken away. And at the end, you know, her, her the narrator's mother says, go to her, go, the children should be with you. So who knows what that means? But that to me suggests like that they're both deeply rootless and deeply, you know, and maybe again, like, well, no, you I know. think Tracy is rooted. I mean, but, <laughs> at but what she, cost? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's just yeah. rooted in a dysfunctional yeah. world, that's, you know, yeah. that's yeah. not, that doesn't have a can't make a place she you know like she the only way that she can really sort of bring her natural talent into flower is by sort of betraying her working class background and that's a the classic working class story um amy is willing to do that and so she has this narrative in her head you know she's just some girl from the provinces of australia you know nowhere really and she has turned herself into this sort of mythical creature because she's willing to do that but that's also her theory right she's like she's awful that bootstrapperism right yeah. like yeah. so she's sort of like i'm surprised to find like how right wing tracy i'm sorry <laughs> uh, amy is about this sort of stuff yeah. which can happen yeah you know because yeah. you put my father yeah. <laughs> but i don't know maybe maybe this so. is too too romanticizing but tracy has dance and and like something that was so peculiar to me is the narrator i'm not sure i've ever encountered a book where a narrator has some kind of passion or talent that just is never expressed. I, I mean, maybe mm. she does, but that the the singing and like her clear love of music that never goes anywhere. Like it, she just has it and it's inside and it, it doesn't develop into anything. And it's yeah, just... Yeah, that's another thing that Amy yeah. tells her. Amy becomes infuriated with her when she sees her singing because she realizes that the narrator has some desire and some talent and is deliberately sidelining it. Yeah. Do you guys understand? I didn't understand that about the narrator, like her her passivity in this way or her, you know, it's it starts from when she like self-sabotages this test that she's supposed to take to go into this advanced placement, whatever. And she's just like, I sat there sullenly and, you know, just handed it in empty or whatever. And It would make sense if she wanted to stay in the neighborhood with yeah. Tracy, like if she really had ties to that world and she didn't want to leave it. But since but she's you know, so willing to leave it, it's not it's not really clear. I mean, I think she wants to push back against her mother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's odd, too, because you definitely get characters who are like in Bill Dong's roman, like they're finding themselves. They don't know who they are. And so they don't really have something. But this was so strange because she she did have something. And yet she. I didn't understand. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. really like characters who don't want success. And <laughs> I like the Bartleby's. Like, so, but I wanted to understand, like, why are you doing this job for nine years? Working as this, you know, assistant, doing I God knows we're what. Supposed to, we're meant to think that she wants to attach herself to more forceful personalities, yeah. and like she wants to hitch her wagon to a star. Mm. And what? And and the the root of this is her relationship to her mother, mm. who is such a who is a dynamo. Yeah. Again, I mean, a self made person, and um and I think you're right. There's and I'm suddenly remembering this passage when she. 
goes to when she and Tracy go to different schools and she says that, you know, without Tracy, without that person, you know, she's she's a sidekick. You know, I think yeah. sidekicks are, you know, born as well as made, yeah. you know, sometimes. And like, yeah, so without that person to sort of reject and sort of cling to, she's like, I suppose I think that's the most. Yeah, that makes yeah, the most and, sense to me. I mean, there definitely are people in life who are like that. Yeah. You know, and that's why Amy is so angry at her when she sees her singing because yeah. she thinks, I thought you were one of these people and now you're not. And I think that that will mean that underneath it all, you'll hate me. I, again, I just thought that was an example of Amy who you think is just like, la, 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 I'm going to start this school and, you know, all you need to do is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And then, but when it comes to like understanding what motivates other people, what other people's drives are, she is she's, yeah. on point. Well, I mean, she she's sees all things well. that nobody else sees. Yeah. Yes, like, exactly. She, she, she knows motivations because she's all well. And she yeah. even, isn't mm-hmm. that the quote? Like her dancing, isn't that kind of spresatura, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beautiful? Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. that, what is it, ecstatic revelation of a woman's will. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like her marching on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that is the sense that she yeah. has in common with Madonna. That yeah. was what Madonna mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Can we talk a little bit about sort of the idea of freedom and and flexibility versus effortfulness? Because I do think like that's kind of something with Tracy's dancing is that it seems so natural and just kind of um, free. And you get these passages where um, the narrator says that it's incredible to watch her dance because she, you know, the dance, or it's incredible to watch all of her favorite dancers dance because they appear to be people without countries, people without pasts, people completely unencumbered by identity, um, by baggage, um, and even sort of transcending time and space. And there are other uh, lines about great dancers recognizing themselves and each other through the ages. Um, the idea that Fred Astaire would take Michael Jackson's hand and they would just commune um, um, across time and space. And um, I thought that that was kind of an interesting aspiration for for the narrator who in other ways so badly wants to belong somewhere and wants to have a tribe and have friends um, and have a community. Um, so it, it seemed like there was something going on with her uh, love of dancing that was um, both a desire for um, complete freedom and sort of clanlessness and then elsewhere um, a desire to really um, connect herself to others as we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think that like I think that that conflict is very central to her and to the book, this idea of wanting community. But I think for a large part of the book, we actually see her wanting the opposite. You know, she wants to be free. She doesn't want to she doesn't want community if community means the projects. She doesn't want community if it means her authoritarian mother and, you know, uh, all this sort of stuff like so you know of course she affixes herself to this celebrity who just takes her from place to place and she lives on planes and she doesn't have an address and she doesn't know she has a visa in america and she's got you know she's this rootless 
this rootless thing. And like so much of the book is about her being told again and again, mostly by her mother, I think, that like people come from places. People have roots. This woman has ripped you out by your roots, this Amy. And now, you know, of course, she doesn't want you to have roots. She doesn't want you to be happy. Um, so, yeah, I think there's that tension both personally and then I think more interestingly. But again, I don't know how satisfyingly the novel thinks this through about culture and about art, right? So is art something, is dance this quote-unquote universal language, or is it something also with roots? And how do you reach it? And how do you use it if you're not part of that culture that's developed it, right? So this idea of appropriation that the book is um, sometimes like with really like pleasurable subtlety, right? It's like one of those things I don't think I've read something that's been this interesting and delicate about some of this stuff. But again, I don't know how fully... It, it pushes it. But um, there's that great quote. And I think, is, is it about culture? Or is it about motherhood? I don't know. They get very tangled in this book <laughs> where, where somebody says, uh, Can, can't you just love something and leave it alone? You know, and that goes as much as, you know, with, with dance as well as, as daughters, I think. In this book. Yeah. The, the, but the, the tricky thing about dance and um, and also the particular dancers who are highlighted, like Fred Astaire, who looks as if he's just floating around, but who was just legendary for how hard he worked. I mean, the will of someone like that is just superhuman. And I think that she sort of wants, there's this appearance of effortlessness, which is created with this huge amount of effort and and discipline and labor. And she's sort of confused about the difference between the two things. But I think also you have to see why dance would seem really popular to a novelist, especially a novelist who is maybe feeling a little constrained um, in that, in that it seems to have, it seems to have no content. It seems to have just pure expression, pure joyful expression, which you can sometimes feel Zadie Smith reaching for in, um, I mean, I'll go back again to the pizza parlor scene. It's like she knows that the guy who runs the pizza parlor is racist, but she just likes the way all these people talk to each other so much. She just loves that. And she wants to sort of delight in the banter and the way that the the sort of who feels on top goes up and down and the way every single person talks in a different way. Like she just wants to love that. And, and more than that, it's choreographed. Yeah. Right? It yeah. is kind of like seeing like a bunch of people on a stage. Yeah. Well, like every anyone who's ever worked in a restaurant knows oh my that God. it's like dancing. <laughs> and so um so, you know, she just loves that and she she, she, I, you can feel her like sort of being ambivalent about moralizing about it or taking a lesson from it. Like, you don't, there, what is the lesson of that little vignette? Why is it even in the novel? Well, I don't know. And I, I mean, this is a vignette that I thought a lot about because I don't love it. Oh, really? I really don't love it. But I, I mean, like, I do think it's interesting, but I do think she is a moral writer. I really do. I think that, like, I'm, I'm saying this coming from the fiction, but when you read her essays and particularly her personal essays, they are, they do come to this sort of place about ideas, about community, vulnerability, interdependency, 
continuity and roots, right? Like, and, and that's why I think some of her writing about New York has been really, really interesting as she's been trying to figure out her roots here or her piece on Brexit, right? So people, so I mean, I, I do think that she has, and maybe morals is like an, un, you know, well, an insufficient word for it. But it's an essay, because an essay usually makes an argument. But I think of her as the same. I just think the way that, like, I, I just the way I read, maybe or the way I read her, I just, I, I find, um, just like the kinds of questions that she is asking in fiction, very similar to the kinds of questions that she's asking in her essays. Of course, she doesn't march them out in that way. You know, fiction is much more open and, you know, and, and I think especially this book, to praise it, because I've been so critical of it, is is one of her best books when it comes to just being, you know, indeterminate about these things. You know, yeah, she really isn't guiding you to something the way that White Teeth, I thought, is a quite, you know, making an argument yeah. for a certain yeah. kind of yeah. multiculturalism, yeah. you know, that's both fact, but also ideal. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, well, and I, this has to be also rooted in her own identity as a biracial person. And also as a dance fanatic, as a yeah. woman who wanted to be a tap dancer, yeah. you know, yeah. so I think it's uh, it's a book about all kinds of roots. Yeah. But going back to, I think that point that you made about effort and effortlessness is interesting. And I think, I don't know where I heard this interview, but she was being asked that, like, you know, kind of tiresome question that, oh, you know, you write about race and class. And she's like, yes, I write about race and class, but I also write about gifts, you know? So when you're looking at, like, how people get to where they are, yeah, you know, there we are, you know, identified by those things. But we're also, like, how do we talk about talent? And as that is something as unfair and bizarre and, you know, sometimes without any making of our own. And, and she's talked also very interestingly and revealingly, I think, about her own career in the context of this, right? What is it like to get that famous that young, you know, and to be the, right. I mean, and that's something that I think I've seen, especially with this book, people trying to say, like, is it commenting on her own celebrity? And I don't know if you guys thought about this while reading the book, you know? No, No. because the celebrity that that Mm. Amy represents is like a class of its own. Whereas Zadie Smith is a well-known writer, but like, with the possible exception of J.K. Rowling or maybe Stephen King, there is no writer who is truly famous. No, no, not Amy. I don't think that like like that's the analog there. But I meant in terms of guilt. I think in terms oh, of like looking back yeah. at your 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 uh, places where you came from. Not even guilt. Maybe guilt is a silly word. But whatever, whatever that feeling is. Like, how come? Why me? Yeah, you know, yeah. that's something I think is interesting. I think we all feel that way. Yeah, I think that there is a sense of of unease or, or I guess just discomfort about where where you end up just in general. Like a lot of, I, I guess I'm thinking back to the the ease and naturalness versus effort. Mm. Um, the first time that that uh, Tracy and the narrator see each other, I think the metaphor is they're drawn together like two iron filings to a magnet. Um, and it's just this irresistible force so naturally. And it struck me that that ability to belong is never so easy again for the rest of the book. Like she, the narrator wants to go to Africa and encounter like a black sisterhood that will embrace her. But instead, all that she finds are women from different tribes who have very different identities mm-hmm. and there's no monolithic community to, to sort of, um, embrace her. And, um, in many different ways, uh, these attempts at community fail. And it's like that one childhood moment that like, uh, idealized moment where they were just drawn together as if by a magnet. Um, and I guess, I guess like 
looking for the rightness and the easiness of that is um, sort of her her task or, or what she wants uh, throughout the rest of the book. And I feel like she doesn't find it. Um, and maybe that means that she doesn't feel comfortable where she is. She doesn't feel there's a rightness, sort of like a natural force that that keeps her where she is or puts her in her place. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. So you feel like that sense of belonging that she has with Tracy as a girl is something that she sort of traces after, chases after for the rest of her life. Yeah, never finds. Yeah. I think that's really smart. I didn't think yeah. of it that way. Yeah. Me neither. But that's a good point. Yeah. Because it definitely their friendship as little girls is more like it makes more sense than their adult connection. Pearl, let me ask you, um, you don't like the parts of the book that I like. So what parts of it do you like? <laughs> Are there scenes or moments? Because, you know, she's so great on these set pieces. And so I, I'm what curious. I, what did I like? I mean, I wanted, I actually felt like there was a positive scene. I wanted more scene. Did you notice? Like, yeah, there's a whole scenes lot. Are so the great. scenes really come alive. Um, I, you know what I loved? Oh my God, I love this. There's this one scene. I like I liked the figure of her father in general, who is this he's this uh this white British guy who's hopelessly enthralled with, you know, uh the narrator's mother, but he's lacks all ambition. And then, you know, she she's sort of becoming smarter and smarter and so he's trying to sort of like maintain her interest and, you know, he's like, Okay, I'll become a postman because she respects labor or honest labor and he's <laughs> pretending to read these books. I just love but there's a moment where all he wants, all this man wants is to sit in the backyard of her uncle's yes, house. Smoke pot. Smoke <laughs> yes. a spliff. Yeah. And just like shoot the shit with his kid and his friend. And he's like, what is better than this? And yeah. so she also just describes being in the backyard. She's like, I always thought that was Jamaica because yeah. it had like, it was like lush and it all felt warmer and there were more mosquitoes and the smell of cooking. I loved that scene. Yeah. I loved, I loved that scene. Um, and I do, I do love her like in, I love the riffs in the book, right? Like this is a book which has so many interesting little like, um, you know, she can never help herself. She always wants to teach you something in books, you know? So there's a lot about dance here. There's a lot about, you know, Fred Astaire. There's a lot about, History of appropriation in the book. I mean, the scene that I I didn't love in that pizza parlor. I'll tell you this. It's. I mean, maybe it's because I've seen her do like, for example, in White Teeth. There is a scene that takes place in a store that sells women's hair, specifically Indian women's hair, to be used in weaves for Black women. And I think it's a Korean-owned store. And there's a great scene there where it's like, you know, a bunch of people are being kind of racist and like, you know, this 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 woman comes in and she's telling another black woman, don't buy this hair. This is, you know, you're being brainwashed, all of this stuff. But you can she makes you feel uh, compassionate and interested in every single person. Whereas the pizza parlor scene, I kind of felt was flat. It was like, OK, this Iranian guy is racist to these black workers, you know, and then she gets fed up and she quits. You know, I was kind of like, this is kind of one note. I get it. I see it. But like how much more interesting was that? first book with those multiple levels of, of I can see that you if know, that's the racial, standard, standard you're holding it's it just to. more subtle to me it's yeah. more interesting I get that people can be racist and that can be oh you know even brown people can be racist we know <laughs> you know but it's just like something more fizzly and strange and like um so yeah like that's that's the kind of stuff when she does that I'm, I'm all for it but yeah no but there were a number of scenes I really did like in this book and one thing I think that I really do like in this book is as I like in all of her books, how fundamentally different it is from anything she's done. And not in a showy way, but in a way that she's asking, it always feels to me, asking herself different kinds of questions about what fiction can do and what can she do. You know, it really is like watching an athlete for me when I read her books. It really is seeing her try out new moves. And like the sentences are different. The paragraphs are different. Um, 
there's it's a first person. It, it's first the, person. The there's time. an attention. Detail is different. It's not funny. Like this is her unfunniest book. Like it's tender. They're like light moments of comedy, but she's really not making jokes for like a, a writer who loves to pun and do all of that. Like it's she's playing it straight. And like that's really interesting to see her in this mode. Um, even yeah. the hater enjoys it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one um, one part of the book that I thought was pretty racially complex and interesting was uh, the way that the narrator loves all these um, these white dancers, including Fred Astaire, who put on blackface, and she doesn't even register yeah. the blackface as a child. Yeah. I, I found that hard yeah. to believe that she wouldn't yeah. notice that. Well, let me tell you this. I saw the movie The Jungle Book as a child many times and did not really recognize how racist <laughs> it was against Indian people. It happens if you're growing up in this culture that yeah. isn't your own. Yeah. You know, like only as an adult, but I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. You know? So, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> but, I yeah, mean, I, I did think it was an interesting choice to make her sort of an apologist for those types of cultural relics. Is it, you know, someone who, who wants dance to mean um, this kind of a historical transcendent uh, thing and is willing to um, sort of um, allow it to shed the things that might arguably make it even more beautiful and potent, which are its deep roots in a particular culture. But I don't think she's arguing for dance to be that. I think she's saying that nothing in the world is like that and nothing needs to be. You know, that we have this desire for universal language. And isn't it nice to think about Fred Astaire and Michael Jackson, you know, sharing a gesture and being able to communicate. But then the book also has that amazing moment where, you know, they show the Michael Jackson Oprah interview and the skin mm-hmm. color issues brought up, you know. So yeah. I, I think that that scene is specifically there to counteract that idea that like, you know, just because it's I mean, again, dance is in bodies. It's in human bodies, racialized right. bodies, you know. Right. Um and so, but I, but I think the point that she is making is about love, and I think it's this complicated idea about how do you love and keep these things that were even meant to be hurtful. How do we keep mm. people that are yes, hurtful? And, you and know, the dance how do you number yeah. that she's reacting to? However, misbegotten the the it, it wasn't meant as a, a, a tribute or out of love. Fred Astaire worshipped the um, Bill Robinson, the dancer he was sort of impersonating. And so he, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a weird thing. Like he was trying to represent his interpretation of this person's joy, but he couldn't do it without being it being embedded in this larger structural issue yeah. that, you know. The, he, and she's entitled to it regardless of intent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she can look yeah. at it, be offended by it, but be like, I loved it for this. You know, like it's this idea that, yeah, I think that that's what she... She can't ha- can't be free of these yeah. of these of this whole overarching power system, but that doesn't mean that the joy and the love in it is invalidated. Yeah. I think that's what that yeah. that yeah. scene about the that dance number is is and and she's trying to ignore the the sort of power issues behind it, which doesn't work. But on the other hand, to pretend that she didn't get any or to have to lose that joy and pleasure that she had in it is also something that doesn't work. Yeah. And I think that there's an openness in the book that like, that's the one thing I can imagine still happening from this narrator who I have a lot of issues with and I have trouble seeing and understanding particular parts of her. But the part of her, I think that for me will go on in the sense that like the best characters kind of have a life after you close the book is I can imagine her still thinking about that scene coming to a different conclusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like this isn't over. Like she's not, this is not a verdict. 
this is an act of she's always going to be kind of going back and forth yeah. and yeah. rotating on which is what we do you like know that. and i think yeah. that that's i think that's like a really generous interesting way of thinking about these you know loaded fraught pieces of art do you guys think that this character is kind of like um nick carraway wow. Ugh. I have this written down, um, but okay. like, what is the what is the obsession with the sort of wallflower astute observer who withholds? Well, because that's what writers are. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. But then, but then there's always, and this is with Ferrante too. Like the more authentic, sort of like vital, um, often associated with like a lower class background and perhaps aspirations, perhaps not. Um, who is like the kind of uh, the counterpart? who is like less stuck in their head. Um, I don't know, but what what was your uh, thinking about Nick Well, Carraway? I mean, it wasn't something that really naturally occurred to me, but I remember reading that in the reviews and thinking, yeah, maybe, you know, I mean, because she's sort of the audience of all of these people. And while they're all sort of arguing with her, pressuring her to sort of, push her life or her personality in one direction or another ultimately she's a little bit formless and and that seems to be kind of who she is i mean she's not romantic in the way that nick carraway is she doesn't worship any of these people but she does have this sort of chronic observer status which is interesting right because there's so many books right now it feels like that have female protagonists not you know, quite as floundering as this one, but formless, passive watchers. Yes. Right? Rachel Cusk has Rachel these books. Kata Kutamura has a book. Vendela Vida has a book out. You know, like, so th- this is something, right? That I think part of you is like it, the attraction that like, that is who the writer is. The writer watches, records, and usually like fixates on somebody colorful who's about heading to a sticky end, you know, yeah. like for sure. Um, but I, I do feel, and like, again, this is one of those things that I'm grappling with in this book where her formlessness does seem to be a stuntedness, you know? It does seem to be some kind of deeper paralysis, some kind of, and, I, and I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure exactly where that came from, aside from it being something to slight her mother um, or just like a natural sort of tendency to affix herself to like a brighter sun. And, you know, I guess I, she really can't underestimate a woman's desire to not be like her mother. <laughs> I never do. I never do. <laughs> it is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a question, but like a question, like, do you enjoy her company? This Because this is something that I think about. The like, mother? No, 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 no. <laughs> a company I did. But the, the protagonist, did you enjoy being with her, seeing the world with her? I, I, again, I thought, her her eye mm-hmm. was good. That's you sort know? of salvaged, yeah. And and she saw things. She mm-hmm. noticed things. And I liked the sort of abashed way that she was constantly sort of um, comparing herself to other people. There's a scene where they all you know, Amy comes to the to the I assume that this is Ghana where this is I think it's called home. Gambia, but I think it yeah, is Ghana. Yeah. yeah. And um there's a party and everybody's dancing. And at one point, Amy is dancing and the narrator is just like, look at her. She's completely unselfconscious. And as far as these people are concerned, she's yeah. just dancing. You know, that's how easy it is. And yet she can't do it herself. And, um, and that, you know, there, there's this way that I guess probably any writer can kind of 
identify with that because it is it, it is definitely a a profession that attracts sort of awkward outsider types or people who who cannot let go of their self-consciousness is what I meant. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Like, And, and she does, uh, you know, as in the Ferranti books, tell us that she's writing this book. Yeah. Numerous times she's told, I've, and I'm, you know, I'm, this is how I've described it. I'm going to write it this way. So we do have a sense of this is uh, finally does what she, she does. to a moment where she realizes that that's who she is? I mean, maybe that's the problem is that she she never has, she never takes us to the point where she becomes the person who's writing the book, who knows, okay, this is why I lived through all of this, because this is what I do. And that's that's what makes it so kind of non-autobiographical, because the character makes it, Mm -hmm. like she Mm -hmm. gets a well-paying job, and she gets to go all around the world and have an ostensibly glamorous life, but it's not really her own life. It's not her own life. Right. I mean, and actually, like, the times that I enjoyed her company most is I really liked how steep she was in in particular traditions of music and dance. Like, when she seemed really passionate about, you know, musical theater or, you know, like, the, the jazz uh, musicians that she talks about, um, when she gets excited about that and uh, Zadie Smith starts teaching us about, you know, this jazz singer and that jazz singer, um, that's when I felt like this character uh, – came more to life and I like that about her. Maybe she'll become a music critic. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's it's just interesting because yeah. the difference between her and her creator is that her her creator is a creative person and that is the sort of the center of her personality and this character does not have that. Yeah. Well, wasn't there this was a part of I can't remember who put this in their review, but there was um someone remarked on the uh the cankerung, the um the orange figure right, that, yeah. that sort and of I, uh, we all did we all must have Googled that to see if we could see a video of somebody doing that. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> did you find one? Yes. Of course. Oh. oh gosh, I should do that. Um but the the point that this reviewer made is that this you know, mythic orange figure is so joyful and wonderful and comes and gathers up all the boys in the village and, you know, initiates them into manhood. And there's some ceremony that takes place. Um, and no one, there's no equivalent process for the girls. No one comes for the girls and allows them to actualize, allows them to become themselves. And I think like that's a lack that you really feel in this book, not just well, with the narrator. It's in the book. But, it's actually not yeah. from the review. She says it in the book. Oh. Who's going to come for the girls? So oh, she does. We do oh. see the narrator realize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she says that that dancer is one of the great dance, mm-hmm, greatest mm-hmm, dancers mm-hmm, she's ever mm-hmm, seen in her life. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot to do with the fact that he is unselfconscious, that his place in his world, in his tribe, in his community is n- known to him. You know, that the, he has deep roots. He's doing something that's been done for generations in the past and for all he knows, for generations in the future. And so there's no, you know, he just fits. He just yeah. fits like a piece yeah. in a puzzle right there. And yet, because he fits that way, he's never going to say who comes for the girls. Right. So. Then again, this is also dance's metamorphosis or becoming, right? Like you start out a boy and you become a man. And so that is preserving dance as a space where you can shed some of those. Just to just to push back on my theory that... that um, we are we've argued about before, <laughs> um, and I I also I should say that I do agree with you um, about that. But I I think that 
something that factors into her thinking about cultural appropriation is the idea that that um, there's no such thing as like a category of of pure blackness or pure whatever culture you want to sort of root a, a tradition in, and it is all these sort of overlapping layers of of, of borrowing and um, transformation. And, and I think that like this is in white to- teeth as well, that it's kind of a fantasy that we hold on to and that we want, that we can sort of access this pure uh, sense of rootedness, but roots are never really um, that straightforward. I'm not sure if... Um, well, yes and no. And I think, I mean, yes, I agree that like all cultures have borrowed and we are like, you know, sedimented with history and stuff like that. But I think that one of the, the great things about her books is that Roots are also really deeply specific and they are a particular neighborhood and a country is a country and a tribe is a tribe. And, you know, uh, you know, you you also have to think about that and grapple with that, you know, like like you can't like the other side of the argument being that, oh, we're all hopelessly tangled up. And so what's the point, you know? Um, and I think that that's why, like, her writing is always we and like the way that we're talking about her writing, the way it just like pops when she's talking about Northwest London, right? Like yeah, she knows yeah. those streets; they belong to her yeah. in this way that they don't like, belong to anybody else. And it's true <laughs> that those streets are populated by Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, Punjabis, you know. Um, and as you're saying, right? Like it's it's it, pure. How could that? What 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 is the purity there? But it is still a place, you know. It is still like. Um, but yeah, but I, well, and I do think place that the part of the I think that the tension in her work is that part of the fundamental identity that she wants to assert is mixedness as an identity, mm-hmm. because that is her racial identity. But what does that mean? I understand that. But then, like I was, I read this. You know, I think it was, I think it was in Slate. Like Isaac Chotner had a really good interview with her, and she was talking about. Um, writing this book in the era of Black Lives Matters. And she said, she's like, this. She's like, I'm, I'm happy for anybody to read Swing Time, but this is a book that was written with Black girls in mind and two Black girls, you know? And that feels to me that it pushes back on this idea of, you know, mixedness. You know, I mean, so I mean, you know, maybe with White Teeth, there was a little bit more of that, like, you know, and I know she's that beautiful piece about Obama speaking in tongues that, you know, to be caught between cultures helps, you know, you can just negotiate these things. You can see for sure, for sure. But I also think that there is this strain of deeply proud blackness in the work, for sure. Um, and especially, especially this one, which is written under particular, you know, larger circumstances as well. So, Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, I think that's as much time as we have for today. Um, But before we go, I'd love to hear from both of you guys whether you would recommend Swing Time by Zadie Smith. Uh, Parul, what do you think? <laughs> After slagging it up, no, I yeah. do, I would absolutely recommend this book. Um, I, I just think that we don't have many writers like Zadie Smith right now. I mean, in the context not only of of seeing the kinds of things that she wants to tackle, but I, I just think that when it comes to her faith in the novel and her belief in it and her belief that it can ask these questions and it can not answer them, but stage really beautiful multiples of responses. Um, 
it's really, really exciting. You know, my favorite Zadie Smith book? No, obviously, but um, still probably the best day and a half I've spent, you know, <laughs> in a long time. And um, yeah, and I, and I would rather disagree with Zadie Smith than agree with just about anybody else. So. <laughs> and the two of you. So. <laughs> what about you, Laura? Oh yes, this was on. My, this was one of my favorite books of the year. Even I mean, I, I actually think the imperfections of Zadie Smith's novels are one of the reasons why I love them. I mean, that's the thing that makes them so human, and um, and so, of course, yes, I recommend all of them, even the ones that are my least favorite ones, which is like. Peru's most favorite one. So that I, gives you... I do like the autograph man. I think I'm alone. Oh, I like that it's one a too. Good one, right? Yes, but I think On Beauty is my favorite. Is it? Yeah. See, and I know a lot of Katie, people. Katie, what's who your don't favorite? Like it. I like White Teeth. White Teeth. The is... classics for you. Yeah, right? yeah. It's still pretty great. I'll never. So does that mean that, that we're out. we're evenly distributed? Um, everyone has a different Zadie Smith favorite. Yeah, I'm an NW straight up. Ah. I'm so sorry, Laura. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Changing my mind, though, man. Her essays are quite simple. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the but one that's a little different. Mm. Yeah. Um, and just to round out our our chorus of of eyes. Um, yes, I I would recommend this. Um, a Y E. In case that wasn't clear. <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I You're think human. So cute, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be self-conscious like this narrator and crawl into a corner. Lexicon Valley. Oh, no. Um, My dancing is even more (laughs) self-conscious, let me assure you. Um, But yeah, human is a wonderful adjective for her. She's warm and lovely, and I had a great time with this book. So I hope that people do seek it out. Um, And also, thank you guys so much for talking about it with me. This was great. Thanks, Katie. Bye. We are dropping a special, um, additional, extra, awesome episode next week. Um, we're going to be reading The Art of War by Sun Tzu, the 5th century BC Chinese scholar and author. Um, we're going to read it as self-help. So look for that um, special episode to drop next week. The homepage for the Slate Book Review is slate.com slash books. You'll find the show pages for this and every episode of the audiobook club at slate.com slash ABC. Visit our Facebook page where you can leave a comment on this episode. That address is facebook.com slash slate ABC. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. Search for Slate Audiobook Club in the iTunes store and don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Slate's Audiobook Club is part of the Panoply Network. Find out more about all of our great podcasts at panoply.fm. Our producer is Benjamin Frisch. Thanks, Ben. And thank you for the assist, AC Valdez. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. For Laura Miller and Paul Segal, I'm Katie Waldman. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>